Okay. Oh, good. You turn this up. Can everybody hear me okay? Good. And we're ready to record? Good. You don't have to record till, you know, they come up, but I'm glad we have that ability. Do you need something? Do you want to say something? You want to say something in the microphone? Come here. No? All right. <laughs> I'll take her with me if you want when I sit down. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. We're so thankful that you could be here tonight. Thank you for attending. Uh, we've been trying to make these candid conversations just a real casual time for us to get together and talk about topics that aren't always addressed in the church, right? Like we talked about identity was the first one. <laughs> bye, Evie. Everyone say bye, Evie. And thank you, Ben. <laughs> Uh, we talked about identity. How many of you were here when we talked about identity? That was a really sweet night. And then the next month, we talked about social media. And we, we have changed locations every time, though. We've been in the chapel. We thought that would work real well. And then we had to social distance. And then um, due to scheduling and a wedding that weekend, we needed to go to the seminary chapel. And we learned about social media. The next month in April, we were together, and we had our day retreat, A Quiet Heart, and those sessions are actually recorded, and they're online for anybody who wasn't able to attend. You can still listen. And then tonight, our topic is loss, and I just want to encourage you. First of all, we have a lot of tissues, and I don't know where those went. I, I think we were throwing them. We were... There we go. So Jess will probably throw those around, and you all can grab some tissues. But what we're hoping, honestly, what we are hoping tonight is that you are actually comforted in the stories of loss because Jesus is real, and Jesus is near, and he is so present, and he draws us close in our suffering and our loss. So let me tell you two more things. If you want to connect with women in this church, um, that we have two different things. We have a Facebook page, if you're on Facebook, and it's called CBC Women, and there's a lot of connecting going on there. There's also a CBC play group for moms. They get together and uh, meet at parks and stuff like that. And then we also have an app. On the Church Center app, there's a group called the Together Team, and you will get emails. You will get this recording emailed to you any reminders of events but that's on the church center app under the together team group does that make sense so you can connect with women in the church that way all right let me just introduce our stories tonight and then i'm going to have a word of prayer and then the women who are sharing if you would like to just come up here would you feel more comfortable sitting up here or just spread out who cares okay it doesn't matter. All right. Uh, Rebecca Wood is going to speak first. And what we're doing tonight, we're doing um, life stories on loss, but how Jesus is near and he offers hope. And then we'd also, they're going to recommend some resources um, and also equip the body. Show us how we can be better equipped to come alongside of our sisters who have experienced loss of, you know, in death or in separation through divorce, and these are things we don't always talk about, but how can we come alongside of our sisters and comfort one another? Um, so we're going to have Rebecca Wood start, and then when she is done, 
Um, Lisa Weber will come up. Where's Lisa? I saw her in the way back. <laughs> she will make her way up here. Uh, Sarah Roebuck. And then when Sarah is done, this is really sweet. About a year and a half ago, right, Sarah? We were talking, and she said, I really want um, to share my story. She goes, I'm ready to share how um, God took her son. And she was willing to share, but she didn't have an avenue to share. And we said, you know what? Candid Conversations is going to be an avenue for you to share about your son. And then Jenny Powers has written a book for loss, and she's going to come and explain how God used her story that is similar to Sarah Roebuck's to write a book for children, siblings, families, as a resource of comfort. I really think you're going to be encouraged. I think you will. I know I will be. So, All right, let's pray, and then Rebecca will come up. Lord, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the love of Jesus Christ that keeps us and holds us fast. Thank you for the trials that you bring into our lives that just cause us to long for heaven. Lord, I pray that the hope of Jesus and the nearness and the sweetness of your presence would be so evident tonight, as I know it will be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Rebecca. evening ladies thank you so much for coming and for those who couldn't come thank you if you're listening to the audio um, I'm so proud of you for coming because um, loss is a painful topic and it's hard and so the fact that you're just here um, just shows um, how courageous you are so thank you um, my prayer is that through hearing our testimonies you will find healing for your heart and that you will be better equipped to help others and their loss um, so for those who don't know me, my name is Rebecca Wood. I am married to David Wood. He usually runs um, IT, sound. So normally you'll see me sitting by myself on Sundays because my husband is always running sound on Sundays. Um, so my story actually begins um, November of 1989 in Brazil. My parents um, were missionaries in Brazil. And um, they had a daughter named Lenita. And when Lenita was 18 years old, she um, was in a car accident with my grandfather. And the car accident um, took my grandfather's life. And my sister ended up passing away after being in a coma for nine days. Um, that same week, I was born. So if you can imagine, my, my sister was in one hospital in one town. And my mom was in another hospital. Um, because of complications, my mom had to stay in the hospital longer, and she wasn't even able to be at my sister's funeral or say goodbye to her daughter. So, um, so that's the family that I was born into. Um, if you hear that story, you might think, oh, that's such a tragedy. Um, but I grew up just seeing God's grace so evident in my parents' life, and they had every reason to be bitter and to be angry because um, God took their 18-year-old daughter. And she was a blessing, like my mom said. Like, why did God take her? She was such a blessing. Um, you know, why doesn't God take that difficult child over there? You know, why mine? Um, so she had every reason to question, and they had every reason to doubt God's goodness. Um, but because of their faith, 
and because they trusted in God, they didn't do that. And my dad always says, um, when there's a trial, you have an opportunity to be bitter or better, but you're never going to be the same. And they chose to be better. And so I grew up in a very loving family. My mom, my dad, they were not bitter. They always talked about God's goodness and how God had been faithful to them through losing my sister. We talked about her a lot. They shared memories. Um, and I grew up just seeing God's grace evident in my parents' life. But I truly didn't know it for myself. Like, I, I recognized it for them, but I really didn't experience it for myself until, um, fast forward to 2014, um, I'd been married for two years. My husband and I were living in Wisconsin. Um, we had done Bible school, and we had stayed in the area because his parents were from Wisconsin. We got plugged into a church. We were helping out in a youth group. We had been involved in youth group for two years. We are very, very close to those kids. Um, one of our kids that we were very close to, he was 17 years old. His name was Nicholas. He got diagnosed with a brain tumor, and um, he ended up passing within a year. And it was very, very hard. We were a really small youth group. There was about 30 kids. And it affected all of us. And we were close to his family. And I watched um, just God glorified through that. What seemed like a horrific situation. I just watched God glorified through it. And I watched how his parents um, just walked through that with such grace. Um, and while I was walking through that, um, during that time, my husband and I, we were both convinced that God was preparing us for something. And we had that conversation, and we said, we feel like God's preparing us for something, but we don't know what it is. Um, I couldn't have guessed that three months later, my very own sister would be diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Three months later after Nicholas passed away. Um, so she was diagnosed um, a day before her 47th birthday. Um, her and her family, they were missionaries in China. She had five kids. Her oldest was disabled, um, and the first question is, why, Lord? <laughs> why a missionary family? You know, why, why my sister? You know, she, her family needs her. Her kids need her, God. You know, why, why her? Um, so at that, at that time when I heard, um, I actually got an email. <laughs> she sent an email to the family, and that email changed my life forever, and, um, it was days of wrestling with God, and my heart literally, physically hurt. And if you've suffered loss, or if you've gotten a diagnosis like that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I would wake up with knots in my stomach, and just, just felt like I was fighting against God. And I knew I was fighting against God. Um, I knew it in my heart. And that lasted about a week. And after a week, um, I did what Job did when he, um, when he lost all his family. It says he fell to the ground and worshipped. And after a week, I was ready to do that. And um, so I fell to the ground, and I just started worshipping. And God gave me the word um, surrender. And I don't know where that came from. It's not a word I use often. It's not a word I hear often. Um, but just surrender and um, like, I, I could just hear him, like, ministering to me, like, Rebecca, surrender to my plan for your sister. Trust me, I am a good God, and I have a good plan for your sister. So I did. I just said, God, like, whatever you have for her, I'm going to trust you. 
and um, I didn't know what that was. You know, I, I prayed for healing. I really did, and we all did. Um, but I didn't know what God had for us. So that was, that was five years ago. Um, within a few short months, we packed everything up. We quit our jobs. My husband dropped out of nursing school. Um, and we moved cross country. To, we moved to Virginia because my sister was moving back from China to um, do her chemo here. So we left everything and um, we came here and we found such love at this church. And um, right away, um, the, the Sprinkles actually took us in for a month because we had nowhere to go. <laughs> um, we couldn't get an apartment because we didn't have jobs. And um, we actually got our jobs through people in the church. Um, we got furniture given to us once we had an apartment. Um, we also got our apartment through somebody in the church. And it was just beautiful to see the hand, um, the hands and feet of Jesus like working through the church to like minister to us at that really, really hard time. Um, so for four years, I got a front row seat um, to watch my sister um, battle cancer. And she didn't like that term, battle cancer, because in her mind, she said, I'm accepting God's best for me. And if cancer is God's best, like, I want to accept that. I don't want to battle his will for my life. So, um, so for, for four years, I watched her, and I learned from her. And I am just so thankful for the years that God gave me um, to be here and to help her as much as I could. But really, she helped me. Um, one, of, one of the books that I read during that time was Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. I highly recommend this book. If um, you're struggling with um, a decision, <laughs> um, a loss, if you're struggling with God's sovereign plan for your life, I highly recommend this book. Um, it's a hard, it's a hard book to read. I threw it across the room a few times, <laughs> um, but by God's grace, I kept reading and reading and reading until my life was changed, and I did, um, I did acknowledge that um, God was in control, even of my sister's cancer, and I could trust Him. So my sister did pass away exactly 11 months ago today, um, and I miss her a lot. I thought I would be prepared for her passing because I knew about, I mean, she, so she's, her, she's um, battled cancer four years and four months, and I had plenty of time to get prepared, but I still was not ready to say goodbye to my sister, and um, the first few months were really, really hard. And um, God used sweet friends of my life to minister to me during those times, to speak truth into my life, and to pray for me, text me, write cards, um, make meals, whatever it was. I feel like the church was there for my family. Um, my parents came back from Brazil to be here for it, and the church helped them um, with getting furniture for an apartment, and they just really ministered to them during that time. Um, so, so during that time, I, I was not processing the grief. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I did go out and process things. And two, three months went by, and I knew I was not processing what had happened, and I was just kind of stuffing it away. And I wasn't truly grieving. Um, I was just kind of trying to go about everyday life. Um, but that's not what I was supposed to do. <laughs> um, and God used the verse um, 
blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I realized I was not mourning, and therefore I was not receiving God's comfort for my life because I was just ignoring the fact. Um, so I said, okay, Lord. So once again, I fall to the ground, um, hands, feet, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm mourning. Like, please comfort me. Like, I am grieving. Um, and he gave me a verse, and it was a very um, unique verse, and I didn't quite understand it at first. And I'm like, how is this supposed to be encouraging? Um, I didn't quite understand it. But, um, so the verse that the Lord brought to my mind was Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And at first I didn't understand, like, okay, like, how is this supposed to be comforting? Um, but then Jesus just showed me that Selinda was God's workmanship. And Selinda had fought the good fight. She had finished the race. And everything that God had laid out for her to do, she had done. And now it was her time for rest. Like, she had accomplished everything that God had set before the beginning of time for her. Um, so, Selinda did not die before her time. God took her at the perfect time. In Psalms 139.16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And that, that just brought so much healing and so much comfort to my soul to know that my sister was at rest and she died exactly when God wanted her to die, not a day sooner, and I could trust that. So if you're experiencing a loss, invite people in to share your grief. If you have a friend experiencing a loss, be present in their grief. Galatians 6.10, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And the law is loving your neighbor as yourself. So I want to read some verses that got me through the hardest of days. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Job 1, 20 through 21, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshiped and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. James 12, 5. Sorry, James 1, 2 through 5. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. The last thing I wanted to do was read a song that I truly love. It's called, As Long As You Are Glorified. Shall I take from your hand your blessings, yet not welcome any pain? Shall I thank you for days of sunshine, yet grumble in days of rain? 
Shall I love you in times of plenty, then leave you in days of drought? Shall I trust when I reap a harvest, but when winter wind blows, then doubt? Oh, let your will be done in me, and your love I will abide. Oh, I long for nothing else as long as you are glorified. You are good only when I, are you good only when I prosper, and true only when I'm filled? Are you keen only when I'm carefree, and God only when I'm well? You are good when I am poor and needy. You are true when I am parched and dry. You still reign in the deepest valley, and you're still God in the darkest night. So quiet my restless heart, quiet my restless heart, quiet my restless heart in you. Oh, let your will be done in me, and your love I will abide. Oh, I long for nothing else as long as you are glorified. So I ask you today, are you trusting God today for your loss? Have you accepted his good and perfect plan for your life? And do you have the joy and comfort of the Lord? It's interesting how God connects our pain. <laughs> I was sitting here saying, I'm not going to cry through this. I wrote everything out so that I won't cry through this. Um, and when I th went through my deepest seasons of loss, that song was the one that I listened to more than any other. And I almost um, had it in my notes to read today, and then I realized I had four pages of notes, and I got the song out. So thank you, Rebecca, for, <laughs> for putting it on your 10 minutes. Uh, um, you know, yeah, loss is, is something that is is very unifying regardless of what your struggle um, may be. There's a tenderness that God brings through that that um, bonds us to others in the body of Christ. And for that, I'm thankful. As I was preparing for this, um, I spoke with a, a friend, and many of you may remember Melinda Curtis from years ago. Her son was, um, I believe, eight when he passed away. He and, and they lived in our neighborhood, and he and my son were close friends, and he was hit by a car. Um, and so I saw her walk through that, and I saw her, her struggles, and I saw her, her clinging to the Lord. Um, and so I spoke with her as I was preparing for this. And so some of the thoughts in here are practical applications that she and I sat and worked through together on how the body of Christ can um, help minister to those who are hurting. Um, <laughs> so this is to tame my squirrels, so I do apologize for, um, for reading. And I think in word pictures, so I begin... Um, with that to share you a little bit of, of my journey in a way that um, is, is easier for me to share. Um, many years ago, I met my best friend. We married and climbed into a car that was to lead us to roads unexplored and to dreams and adventures that lay ahead of us. We knew the road would not be without its potholes or detours, but we also knew that regardless, we would always be traveling on that adventure together. We saw many beautiful places along the way, and we created priceless memories on this road trip of life. Before long, our, our car had a child in the back seat and new memories that included things like parks and zoos. I thought the road trip that we were on was rich and rewarding. But after a while, my husband, who was driving our car, didn't see it that way. Before I knew it, he was daydreaming to try to make the drive more enjoyable. But it became terrifying for me and our son. The daydreaming kept him distant and the driving became erratic. The trip was no longer fun. It was stressful and we prayed for the person that we once knew. 
It seemed that the other cars driving along on their journey of life didn't fully understand the situation that I found myself in. I could abandon the car, but it wasn't going to slow down or become less erratic. And I didn't know if I could jump from a moving car and still take our son with me. I didn't know if anyone would stop to help us if we jumped out. What if we were injured during our escape? And they had their own roadmaps and their own destinations, and I didn't know where we might fit in. I prayed for God to work on the heart of my husband, and I allowed him to see how his driving was affecting us all. I wanted to trust his leadership in our life. I grew in my own relationship with Christ and desired for him to drive the vehicle that we were in. I didn't always respond right. Sometimes I was too quiet and withdrew. Sometimes I hollered at him, hoping that he would stop daydreaming so much. Sometimes I just complained about the way he was driving, and I always knew that a set of innocent eyes was watching us from the back seat. The impact of the car accident took me by surprise, and despite our situation, I had never anticipated this. After the wreck, my husband got out of the car, hopped into the car of the person that had wrecked into us. A woman was driving, and she too looked like she had been daydreaming. My son and I were left in the car with our legs pinned in bent metal. We were in shock and crying from disbelief and pain. Firefighters arrived and removed us from the wrecked vehicle, and we questioned if we would ever walk again. It would be a long journey and not without its scars. We had to learn to adapt to life walking with a limp. Sometimes those injuries can cause pain. Recovery has been a long and grueling process, and grief over what could have been threatened to destroy us. How was I to comfort my son when I was hurting as much as he was? Should I have done something different earlier? I knew that the car had been weaving, but I hadn't realized it was going to crash. We chose to learn to embrace our new life and our new disabilities. Yes, things would never be the same again, but self-pity self -pity and misery weren't going to change our circumstances. The memories of the earlier road trip are sometimes bittersweet. The places that we had seen, the adventures that we had, they could be painful to revisit. And our new car would need to travel new roads, have new adventures, and make new memories. It was up to us to choose the perspective that we would see the remainder of this journey from. Sometimes we still see that man who was once my best friend and the driver of my car. He is still riding in the car that hit us, and I can see that his car is still wrecked, and at times I struggle not to cry at what happened. But bitterness is an enemy that can steal our joy, and Christ has shown us that he is the driver of the car that my son and I are now riding in, and he is a driver that I can always trust. He will always carry my burdens, and he can navigate my journey. The emergency rescue in this team, or in this story, is you, the church. It's the people who came alongside of us when we couldn't help ourselves. It's the team that came and helped and did yard work or cleaning my house before I was facing open heart surgery. It's the friends that prayed and counseled us when their own lives were so full. Your role in our lives was no less critical than the firefighters or the EMTs. We were numb with pain, but you sacrificially stepped in to care for us. Often this role in life is short as the rescue personnel needs to move on to the next emergency, but they are such a critical and life-saving team. We had a few wonderful counselors that became our physical therapists in this healing journey. They spent months teaching us how to walk again to embrace the new road that God had for us. Without their help, our recovery would have been much harder and much slower, and we learned so much from them. Their encouragement was a lifeline when we were discouraged and we felt so defeated. They helped us to grow spiritually and embrace the work that had been required of us. Our spiritual exercises developed muscles that would allow us to live full and God-honoring lives. Although we would never live the life that we had before the accident, my son and I were driving the journey that God had for us, and it can be a rich and rewarding one. There may sometimes be chronic pain that will surface at the most unexpected of times, but we both know it is a much richer way to intimately know God and how much he loves us, and that has been priceless.
The cause of the accident for each person you know may be different. Emergency personnel or physical therapists may prepare to assist others with training that can be customized for the unique needs of any situation in front of them. You can be part of that team by equipping your heart and mind to be ready for ministry. What are some of the ways that rescue workers or physical therapists in the lives of others uh, have helped the lives of others that have experienced their own car accident? Remember, not everyone is called to the same role. Some are directing traffic, some use the jaws of life, some perform life-saving surgeries, some are the ICU nurse, or some provide the months of physical therapy. A person experiencing a crisis often needs many different caring people fulfilling a role. It's too much for any one person to handle in both the time and training. The role that you may fill may be different for each situation, and God may not call you to respond to every situation, but you can utilize the training that is available to you now to prepare for how God may use you in the future. Some of the areas that you could minister would perhaps be as a biblical counselor. Maybe you have experience giving financial advice. Um, I had a friend that invited me in her busy schedule just to sit and visit with her while her son was at soccer practice. It was the only availability she had, but she reached me with, with where she was at. Um, I had someone else that had just come through surgery and someone had blessed them with a meal and they had more than enough. So we showed up to her house and helped prepare that meal for them. I had a friend invite me to Valentine's Day when she knew I would be alone. Um, I had a group of friends that each took a day of the week and sent me a Bible verse every day for a month. Uh, one friend shared a list of, um, uh, on Spotify of playlist songs. You can make whatever list you have that works with the skills and the abilities that God has given you. Understand that a person experiencing a loss may be facing the death of many dreams. We tend to think of dreams in terms of big things like marriages, a new car, a vacation. But when there's a loss, the loss may look something like Saturday morning coffee with your spouse, working in the yard together, setting a certain number of plates at the dinner table. The lost dreams may be a parent struggling to, to adjust to an empty nest. It could be the death of their child. It may be learning your child is autistic and will struggle with learning difficulties or with friendships. Perhaps it is a cancer diagnosis or a lifelong health issue. Um, maybe it's a dad that's not home to take his kids to sports practices or fishing. Maybe singleness that leads to loneliness. After three years of infertility, we had a small taste of that silent loss when there's no single date you can put on the calendar. It's just a monthly death of a dream that a bandage is ripped off of each month. And we need to grieve those dreams. For a while, it seems to define who we are. Grief often lasts much longer than those around us expect it to. Um, Sometimes it can even be a few years. Others can be anxious for you to be okay. After talking with friends who have gone through deep grief, the consensus is that it's often very lonely. Um, Friends may think if they don't bring up your experience that maybe it's easier. And for some that might be true, but it isn't for everyone. Don't tell a grieving person just to move on. Um, unless you have developed a relationship with them and earned the right to speak boldly to them. And maybe it is time for for them to move on. And if so, develop that relationship with them so that you can speak that truth into their lives. Um, Be a friend that listens. Help them navigate their grief in a healthy and God-honoring way. In Psalms, David experienced deep and great loss. And he said, all night long I flooded my bed with weeping and drenched my couch with tears. But God didn't leave him in a place of despair. Um, Psalms goes on with many verses of, of David praising God. In Philippians 4.8, God calls us to right thinking. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
God has given us the, abil the ability to change our perspective about our circumstances so that we can find joy in the midst of our pain, not just when our pain ends. The Bible never says that joy only comes when we're no longer in pain. Romans 12, 12 says we are to rejoice in hope while being patient in tribulation, to be constant in prayer. And in 2 Corinthians 6, 10, we are to be sorrowful, yet also rejoicing, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Those verses really struck me because they speak of joy in pain, not just joy on the other side of it. That was a new concept for me to learn. I always thought that I would find joy when I got to the other side of my pain. Don't minimize the value of community, and each person may have a different need for connection, but everyone longs to be connected. Don't assume that you do or don't need connection um, because someone else may not feel the same way. Um, one of the things that I found very helpful was when someone said, let me know if you need anything. I wouldn't. I wasn't going to go to someone. Um, but if they gave me something specific and they put a date on the calendar and then gave me the freedom to be flexible, they said, I can bring you a meal next week. Is there a day that's good? And if there isn't, is there, is there another week that would work better for you? I'd love to meet you for coffee. Uh, what does your schedule look like so I can put something on my calendar? Um, you know, if somebody wants to help with yard work, you know, say I have, you know, Saturdays free, you know, in a month. I'm going to call you next week and see if maybe one of those days would work. Um, try to be specific and not just um, keep your request generic. How can you navigate your own trial? Prepare your heart spiritually for the trial that lies ahead of you. Memorizing scripture now is so crucial. I felt like learning verses in the middle of a heartbreak was like asking a mom with newborn twins and a deployed husband to memorize verses. I couldn't tell you what I'd had for breakfast. I was trying to memorize, and not being able to do so just made me feel like I was failing. Um, but I didn't minimize the value of meditation, or I memorized verses in smaller pieces. Uh, as believers, God has created us with a longing for him, and that relationship that you build now in your time with him will ultimately be the thing that sustains you in your crisis. The love of the body of Christ is so important, but the love of our Heavenly Father is what is so life-sustaining. It is this relationship that carried me down some dark roads. Psalm 119.05 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That word is the beacon that showed me how to put one foot in front of the other. Don't let your emotions dictate the way you filter God's plan for your life. It is so easy to do. Um, as scripture tells us, the heart is deceitful. We can choose to allow the grieving process, and for a season, it's okay. We need to grieve the loss. We need to struggle with our redefined life ahead. Um, it, uh, don't assume that everyone expects that you were doing okay. I, I struggled with that in the in the deepest part of my grief, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, when, when I wasn't. Um, take your time to process it, it's part of your journey, but then understand that God has created us um, to be able to continue to feel joy. Um, share the hurts with God and choose to rejoice in the many blessings that he has for you today. When loss seems to threaten your very ability to breathe, when the pain seems to be nothing but shadows, you will struggle with how to put one foot in front of the other. Um, in my life, this was certainly true. Um, but I had to reflect on God's light for my path being like a flashlight on a very dark night. I couldn't see the path that lay ahead, but I could see the next step. And many days, the next step was all that God required of me. So what did I do? I did what God called me to do today. We are called to grow in our relationship with Christ. It means an investment of time in different seasons of our life. 
This relationship may look different. In a dark season, I could meditate on scripture. I could meditate on songs. One time I read the same four chapters for two weeks in a row, but the repetitive reading was so powerful, and it became incredibly precious to experience God's love in those passages as each day I was still learning something new. We're called to care for those entrusted to our care. For that, for me, that meant practical things, like I had to make sure we had clean clothes, food on the table. It meant I had to meet the emotional needs of someone that was grieving as much as I was. It meant getting us out the door for church, getting him to school, or going to my job. It meant honoring God and the responsibilities he had entrusted me with. And we're called to love others. The best way to, to take your eyes off of yourself is to focus your eyes on Christ and the others that you were able to serve. Maybe this is taking a meal to someone when you don't know what you're making for dinner at your own house or praying for the needs of others when your own needs seem very overwhelming. But the truth of scripture is that it isn't logical by the world's standards. One of the most important things that I learned is that focusing my heart on Christ and my thoughts on caring for others was the healing balm to the hurts in my own heart. Uh, <laughs> and my word pictures. Um, this was one that God had brought to me. And it's that, um, what is it that makes stained glass so beautiful? It's many broken pieces of glass organized in a way that reflects the light of the sun, S-U-N, shining through it. And what makes our lives so beautiful? It's many broken pieces organized in a way that reflect, reflects the light of the sun, S-O-N, shining through us. Um, and although I don't um, <laughs> speak publicly much, if, if anyone um, needs to talk, I am always open to listen. I'll find time for coffee. Um, don't feel that there isn't somebody who can't hear. I don't counsel. That's not my season in life right now. Um, but don't feel like anybody has to suffer alone. I, I would hope that those involved in the body of, of Christ do not feel like they're sitting here alone. So, thank you. Hi, I am Sarah Roebuck, for those who don't know me. Um, God uh, presented himself to me about a year ago to tell my story, and I honestly did not want to. I am not a public speaker. I am not one to stand in front of everybody like this, but God kept pushing me, and I finally confessed to Carissa that God wanted me to do this, and who am I to tell God no? <laughs> so as God has prepared me, um, I'm just going to read what I wrote and try my best not to freak out. <laughs> um, I am here to share the story of Tyler David because in the words of my husband, we did not lose our boy. We know where he is. Let's go back to the summer of 2014. We found out we were expecting our third a couple months after my sister. I was so excited to share a pregnancy with her. Fast forward to November 7th. My sister called. It was a call that you just knew. Some, something was not right in her voice. Her voice cracked, and I could hear the tears flooding as she said, there is no heartbeat. I remember so much emotion as an aunt. I couldn't imagine as his mother. I remember so much as a, uh, sorry. Jacob was in heaven, and the world seemed cold. He was due in February. And we soon found out that we were also going to have a little boy. The months felt long and drug on. I was a nervous wreck. At every doctor's appointment, I held my breath until the heartbeat was on the monitor. I felt a slight relief, and then a few hours later, it would be worried all over again. 
It didn't help that he was the most content babies at time and he would get cozy and not move for hours. Oh, my heart. We had some of the best moments in the early mornings before everyone woke up. He would kick and move so much then. Also, when he would hear his older siblings play, he loved to hear them, and he loved when I would sing Jesus Loves Me at bedtime with them. He loved kicking Daddy's face off of my stomach. Finally, April 16th came. I remember being so excited. I actually slept my best night of pregnancy that night, anticipating the hours to come. We were due to be at the hospital at 6.30 a.m. for my C-section. We got into our room. As they hooked me up, the nurse told me how she saw my doctor a few moments ago, and she was so excited with us. Little did we know that the world was about to be black. The nurse scanned and scanned, and she said, maybe this one isn't working. I'll go get another. Donald and I looked at each other, and I think we both knew in our hearts at that moment what was coming. My doctor came in with a worried, happy face and scanned. Then with tears in her eyes, she said, I'm so sorry, and just shook her head in disbelief. At 10.30, Tyler's lifeless body entered the world. I prayed so hard he would come out screaming, but God said no. The umbilical cord was wrapped around his head twice, and, and his neck twice. In some ways, I knew working through losing Jacob taught me to trust God and his plans, but the pain I felt seemed way deeper than my trust in God's plans in those moments. I still remember calling my sister. All the no screams, I dreaded having to make that call. The days were filled soaking up as much time as we could with our Tyler. Family got to hold him and love on him. Then the dreaded moment came where we had to watch them change his clothes, diaper, and rewrap his body up in new blankets. It was time to go out of the hospital with everything but my baby. The blankets and outfits that he had around him came home, but my baby didn't. I could tell you everything about that day, week, months, years, or even years now. But now I want to show you some of the many blessings that have come, even in the really hard times. Starting with that morning, we got the news. My parents weren't here yet. Now, I've always known I was truly loved by my in-laws. I think I might actually be the favorite now. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, I've always uh, been in that moment. Dad Roebuck hugged me. As I, cry, as I cried on his shoulder, I felt so much comfort. I felt like a daughter, not an in-law, a daughter. He was my dad when my dad couldn't be there, and I'm forever grateful to God for giving me that moment to me. Next, the night after Tyler's born, the nurse came in, and I noticed she looked overwhelmed, confused, and like she needed to talk. After a couple of times of her going in and out, I asked, how are you doing? Which she responded, I don't get it. I just don't get it. The lady in the other room was yelling at me because her baby didn't get the bath when, it, when she wanted it to, and yet you are here, happy, kind, and you just lost your baby. This was God. The peace I felt was beyond my understanding. Over the four days that I was there in the hospital, the nurses would, tell, would all tell stories of how unbelievable and encouraged they were with us. At the funeral, I had a friend drive eight hours total by herself all in a day because she said God insisted she should be there. The funeral itself was completely overwhelming. We did it, did it in the chapel with no idea how many would be there. And we had people standing in the back and in the hallway. 
The funeral expenses were completely covered for us by some generous givers and included the grave and marker. It's all God. He works everything for his good. Tyler's funeral was on April 21st of 2015, and our wild, goofy, full-of-life rainbow was born April 21st of 2016. The same team that delivered Tyler came back and delivered Avery and Titus. The nurse, Florida, was the first nurse that cared for them. The reality of death and salvation has become so real to my kids. At the time, Andrew was four and Madison was almost three. The last six years, Madison has been constantly coming up with questions and thoughts on God, Tyler, sin, and salvation. So many times I've had to say, I'll get back to you. A few months ago, she made a profession on faith and not long ago was asking about baptism. Oh, and thunderstorms are now God and Tyler bullying, depending on the noise, and lightning is Tyler taking our picture. Someone said to me at the funeral, you don't know how blessed you are in this position. If you're thinking like me in that moment, I thought a few different things. One, you're crazy. Two, I could punch you right now. And three, you have no idea what you're talking about. Grief is weird, hard, and random. I actually struggled visiting his grave at first. A mother's job is to take care of their babies. I needed to take care of him, and the only way I knew how was to control his marker in the grass. But I wasn't controlling it. It was controlling me. The hardest pill to swallow is facing the fact that he doesn't need me anymore. When I gave it to God, I once again found peace. Some days are better, some are worse. I just recently... Just recently, we can only order Pizza Hut if we want pizza because all the other places come in and smelled like Tyler and that hospital room. Why? Why does it come out in pizza? But it did. I actually threw away a whole pizza. It went out as fast as it came in. There's triggers and there's nightmares. There's longest nights and hardest days. But when I look back, I see so much goodness. While I still don't, nor will I, on this earth fully understand, I can say that I am blessed. My touchdown boy is safe in heaven, and I don't have to worry about him in this crazy world. I remember a few years ago, I don't remember the exact time, but Pastor Brent went over suffering. He said, would you be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? I looked at Donald and kind of laughed, saying, no, I wouldn't want to go through that again. And while I wouldn't choose to do it again, I can see, looking back, where the suffering has brought so many blessings. My favorite verses are Psalms 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And though the war may rise against me, in this will I be confident. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. He will make the way out. I can be confident in him. I'm not a big reader, but I'm working on it. I love music. Jeremy Camp got me through a lot of days with He Knows and Christ in Me. Play the music, dance around the house, remember and try to live. It gets better in little steps at a time. Sometimes it's the gift of listening without reply. Sometimes it's the note or the Starbucks gift card that lets them know you're thinking of them or whatever the favorite place is. Sometimes it's the gift of coffee mugs and a bag of coffee. I remember the friend that drove here by herself handed me a bag at the funeral, and it took me a while to remember it was even there. But when I opened it, it was two big coffee mugs and a coffee with a sweet note. 
It was just what I needed, and I still use that cup to this day. Some don't want to talk, some love to talk. However you deal with your loss, there is no right or wrong way. I will always be here for whoever needs it, though. It's not fair that I had to go last. <laughs> I practiced hardening my heart, and now it feels like mush. <laughs> I sat on the examining table Friday morning, waiting for the doctor to arrive. <clears throat> Without a word, the nurse had already confirmed my deep fear that the baby I had been carrying in my womb for the past eight months was dead. Even though my mind knew the truth, my heart still held out the hope that somehow the doctor would find a heartbeat and make my baby live again. <clears throat> I'm not sure when I last felt the baby move. I was so busy the day before taking care of our large family and preparing for out-of-town guests that I did not pay much attention to the stillness of our baby. As I sat, sat waiting between the tenuous possibility of hope and the reality of death, I thought of Job 121. <clears throat> the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <clears throat> All that practice was for nothing. <laughs> Lord, I know you created this situation just for us. Help us to walk through it. Help us to be thankful and bring glory to you. We have never had to experience the loss of someone so close to us. We don't know if we can do this. The doctor came and tried in vain to find the heartbeat. Finally, he was forced to confirm audibly that our baby was dead the sound of the words cut the fragile and imaginary string of hope I was holding. Suddenly, I just wanted to get this completely abhorrent situation over with and move on with my life. The doctor, however, said that we needed to wait a couple of days to see if my body would naturally miscarry the baby. If I had not miscarried the baby by Monday, then he would induce labor. <clears throat> How could this be? Not only was my baby dead, but now I would have to carry my baby in my womb for two whole days. My husband came and picked me up from the doctor's office, and we spent the next two days weeping and trying to comprehend the meaning of this experience into which we had suddenly been thrust. There was not much to say, no one to blame, God had chosen this for us, therefore he was going to work it for our good. The knowledge of God's sovereignty and the word of God were the only things able to touch our hearts and give us comfort. We believed that, God, that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
even though we did not understand it or like it. The word that could best describe how I felt during this time and long after is frustrated. Not only was I mentally and emotionally prepared to bring forth a baby, but my whole being was going through the motions of preparing for labor and birth and feeding and nurturing our baby. Yet I had, I had to keep reminding myself that this labor would not have a happy ending. It would simply be an ending. On Monday, the doctor induced labor and a little boy was brought forth. But he was not there. Only his perfect little body was there to make us wonder who, whom he might have been. We gave him the name Benjamin Murphy Powers. Even though we knew he would never have an opportunity to grow up into his big, strong name. We decided to have a memorial service on Wednesday for the little person we would never know this side of heaven. We wanted to give his life significance, even though it had been a hidden, quiet life. I could not bring myself to put our baby in a coffin, so a friend loaned me a little white baby carriage for the service. The next day, my husband and I were to go with the funeral director to the cemetery and have a private burial. But I could not bring myself to watch as my baby was being put in the ground. <clears throat> I'm sorry to say that my husband had to do this, do it alone. I was so overwhelmed by the ugliness and sting of death. The pain was excruciating. And yet, <clears throat> I had to keep moving forward for the sake of my family. I wanted them to go away so that I could grieve in peace, so that I could be swallowed by the darkness of it all. The dismal, cold, rainy January days were a perfect reflection of my heart. All of nature was dead and mourning with me. We all have or will have points of crisis in our lives when we will have to choose to exercise faith and embrace the hope of the gospel or choose to wallow in despair. When we lose someone very special in our life, our mind and our hearts desperately try to hold on to the essence of that person whom we will no longer be able to see, touch, and talk to. We are afraid that their essence will disappear and we will forget them. It gives us comfort to talk about them, remember their character, their personality, and experiences we had with them. Psalm 34, 18, 19 says, The Lord is close to those whose hearts are breaking. He rescues those who are humbly sorry for their sins. The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too, but the Lord helps him each time. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, This plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than yours. And Revelation 21, 3 and 4, And he himself will be among them. He will wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, 
or crying, nor pain. All of that has gone forever. The reason I wrote this book is because I felt compelled to write it. We were having conversations at home with our children about the hope of the gospel and about heaven. I felt that someone needed to write a book for children and a tool for parents. Elizabeth Elliot's insights on suffering from her tape series, Suffering is Not for Nothing, was very helpful to me. The first part of this book is the story, the full gospel. The second part of the book is a 31-day devotional for the whole family with practical, fun activities for each day as they learn to apply God's truth and love in their lives. The third part of the book has four appendices, three of which are excerpts from Grudem's Systematic Theology, providing a deeper understanding for parents of the concepts of infant death, spiritual death, and regeneration. The fourth appendix is a list of fun activities for each day of the month that help the family remember their loved one and lighten the load of grief. While this book cannot take the pain out of a family's grief, it endeavors to guide them as they walk through their grief in the light of God's word. The written prayers in the devotional section of this book are meant to be a starting point for discussion and more specific prayers of your family. The hymns can be read as poetry, or you can learn and sing the hymns as they can be a balm to your spirit. Our hope was that this book would be a resource for parents as they uh, work through their grief as a family, that it will be a resource that biblical counselors can recommend to families who are grieving, and that it can be a gift that a friend can share with a grieving friend. I give this book as a gospel tract to people who have experienced many kinds of loss and pray that someday they will read it and have knowledge of the full gospel of Christ. Pastor Brent, Carrie Fulberg, and many members of our church were instrumental in ensuring that the text is doctrinally sound. We are very grateful for their investment in this project. This is what her book looks like. And I want to tell you that when um, we had the funeral service here, Celebration of Life for Ginger Howlett, she, um, in lieu of flowers, she wanted um, any donation to be given towards the women's ministry. And so we had about $500 given to our women's ministry fund from her Celebration of Life. I thought that was so sweet. What we are going to do with some of that money is we're going to purchase the resources on your handout 
that we like to hand, well, that we make for you. Um, if you want to take these home and order them yourself, do that. But we also are going to try to build up our library so that we have resources for you that are good, solid uh, resources that have helped the women that you hear every month give testimony to the glory of God through these resources as well. I just want to thank you so much for writing this. That's so neat, too, to have families... Um, have activities too for families and thank you um i was talking recently with somebody and she said when her mom died a book that really got her through um was let me see real quick because i had it written down here um i think it was yeah dark clouds deep mercy discovering the grace of lament and then there was another one written on here and it must have been taken off and that's fine <laughs> Okay. Oh, Suffering, Gospel Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense by Paul David Tripp. And then there was another one by David Powlison. Do you remember what that was called? Yeah, it's not on here. Um, a, a girl that I just went to college with, she just had a miscarriage, and Abby Wedgworth wrote a book called Held, and it's going through Psalm 139. Abby walks alongside women suffering the heartbreak of miscarriages, and she, um, yeah, she just walks walks with you through this book held, but there's also a podcast listed in your resource, on your resource page um, that you can listen to her teach about it. So um, next month, um, our Candid Conversations is going to be on helping kids with outstanding needs. And Ruth Brush, raise your hand, everybody knows you, but Ruth Brush is going to be speaking as well as Kathy Carbaugh. So raise your hand. All right, there she is. So next month, um, I think that'll be really, really helpful and beneficial for us to know how to come alongside of women and help them and encourage them, and good for our understanding as well. Okay, what we're going to do now is um, we're going to divide you up. Well, you can divide yourselves up, but I'll tell you um, where the different leaders will be. You know, how many people are here tonight? What do you think? We need, I have enough for six groups or five. Let's do five groups. Okay. Um, up here, we'll have Jess Libby. We'll just turn the chairs around. Uh, Janelle Weaver on this side. Gloria Schrader in the back corner. We'll have Michelle Bechtel. Do I see you? There you are. Michelle Bechtel in the back corner. And then Leslie Costin. Where are you at? There's Leslie. If you want to go to the family room right back there. I think that will be good. Five groups. Okay, and then we just have three questions that the ladies who spoke tonight have given you to discuss. Um, I'm going to give them to you, but um, it says, what has helped you personally, this is to discuss, in times of loss that could be encouraging to others? What has helped you? With what area of your life could you trust God more? And how has loss positively impacted your relationship with God? So these are three questions that your leader will tell you again. So you can go ahead and divide up however you want. All right. And then be dismissed whenever you feel like it and grab more drinks on your way out. Thanks for coming. <laughs>